0: Hello and welcome back to the Magic Talk podcast. My name is Anson Chen and I'm the host of the podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Today we have a very special guest. He's a good friend of mine. His name is Ben Seidman. Ben Seidman is a wonderful magician who has this unique ability to creatively mix psychological magic, stand-up comedy, pickpocketing sleight of hand into this impactful and interactive show for any audiences I've seen his show I've seen his work close up in person and on the stage in front of hundreds of people if you never had the chance to see him do it go see him do whatever it takes some of you I also know that you might have seen his work on Penn & Teller Fool Us as well as Netflix's brainchild So in today's episode, we talked about some of his work behind the scenes in creating some viral and popular TV shows, as well as his experience on stage and how he goes about creating new material, prepares for shows, and how he gets his inspirations, as well as his backstories. I think this is an episode that is going to get you a lot to think about and I hope you enjoy the conversation. As always, please send through any messages in regards to feedback or questions to at Mr. Anson Chen on Instagram. That is at M-R-A-N-S-O-N-C-H-E-N. I love hearing from you guys, so thank you for your support. Thank you for sharing this podcast. I really appreciate it. Without further ado, let's get into the podcast with Ben Seidman. Hello, Ben.
1: Hey, Anson.
0: How are you doing, dude?
1: I'm wonderful. I'm I'm so delighted to hear your voice and be here with you.
0: Yeah, yeah. I know. Um, as we're setting up this call, you just finished a show for a thousand people.
1: I did. Yeah, I think it was about nine hundred. Um, the one a couple of, or no, the one two nights ago, the one last night, I suppose. Yeah, I'm I'm really out of sorts. The one last night was twelve hundred. This was like nine hundred some
0: how does that, I mean, how does that feel to you? Like in terms of like audience size, do you, is that what you prefer or how, how does it? Um...
1: Not big enough. I want it to <laughs> be more people. I want there to be more. No, it's great. I mean, it's, what's interesting is the one last night was a corporate event and they were all at banquet rounds, which as you know, spreads out the audience like crazy. Like if you, pe- if you see people theatrically versus at banquet tables, People are so much closer theatrically, um, but, but they had good IMAG, so there was good video, so the people in the back really felt like they had a front row seat, whereas tonight with 900 and no IMAG, no video, I feel like it was a little challenging on the back, like I had to really work to reach those people in the back half. Um, but it still feels really great, and there's there's an awesome energy to it. I, I mean, the one last night was in a convention center. This was in an arena at a college, so both very different shows and different demographics. But um, but you know, both with their excitements and challenges, and um, and yeah, I mean, I I feel very lucky, man.
0: And how long was your show?
1: Uh, I did I did an hour tonight, I think, or like fifty five minutes um because I I cut something I usually do an hour and change um but it was shorter tonight um and then and then last night I did a 15 minute set and then there was more award show and then I did 25 minutes in my second half
0: okay so you broke that into two parts kind of
1: yeah it was interesting because it was kind of like it was kind of like a sleight of hand pickpocketing set and then kind of a mentalism set on the back half with like a callback to some sleight of hand. I, you know me, I love callbacks. I love things that tie into other things. And so um, so even though it was two separate sets, they had multiple points where they they wove together.
0: Generally speaking, you perform for about an hour. Is that how long your show is? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah almost always. I mean, I, I adapt to whatever the event needs, but like that's kind of my favorite, that's my favorite amount of time to be in front of an audience is an hour
0: and would you say this show that you currently are performing are mostly developed through kind of the college tour that you're yeah. um doing
1: i mean it certainly sharpened with the college tour the oldest routine in here i was performing when i was in vegas that was the safety pin thing that was like i think probably the first stage piece that i created that i felt was truly original and so that's the oldest piece in the show and then the other bits i honed while I was in Vegas. And then also when I moved to Reno, that sharpened more. And then as I expanded and started doing colleges and also cruise ships, then the other material got honed and sharpened. And then I would say the last two thirds of the show was developed over the last five or six years maybe. And then it all kind of came together. But now it's at a a point where I really feel like this hour is the most original, most strong and most enjoyable like hour I've had this whole time
0: it's safe to say that you've been uh developing this hour for like what 10 years
1: i mean 15 probably 15 or 16. it's kind of crazy i'm thinking about throwing it out
0: at some point yeah Um, how do you feel about that i mean a lot of comics do that
1: yeah that's i mean that's certainly the model it was the model in the uk for a long time and then people like carlin were doing it and then you know uh it became more of the model here in the states too and i think I think I want to do it, but I feel very scared just because it took me 15 years to develop this hour like the idea of starting from scratch is just bonkers and I have, I have plenty of other material. Um, So like I mean I have a couple of different hours, but the other hour that I have is more more like classic magic with my own twists and less like things that I really truly feel are in my voice Um, so. I, you know, I I feel scared about throwing it out, but also kind of excited at the prospect of having that challenge because I've never had that before. And it would be fun to write a show from scratch and go up again, just feeling like I was completely in free fall in front of an audience.
0: Yeah. How would you approach that? How would you like, say you weren't scared? How would you go about that?
1: Well, I mean, I think I'm going to be scared regardless but that's just because that's that's who I am as a person I'm just terrified every every day of my life (laughs) Um, but I think I think that I think that I could very easily I could very easily just do that other hour and then try to make it better and more original but I also have a bunch of pipe dream ideas that are great what if concepts and so I think I would really try to challenge myself to see if I could get some of those up and running and crack some of the puzzles that are the solutions to these pieces that at this point the solutions don't exist but in my mind the effects do so um it would probably be a, a combination of some like older material that I've done before and kind of set aside and then also some like new stuff that I've never done and then I I would look I could totally try doing this before I throw out the hour I could get my feet wet but um but we'll see
0: yeah, I mean like there are there seems to be two general approaches when it comes to developing a new hour, right? Like one is the kind of Carlin or Louis C.K. approach that you were talking about, which is to throw out the entire hour radically and then just bomb until you have a new one. Then mm-hmm. there's um I believe like guys like Chris Rock like to develop new material in between the existing show and then have that grow out of have that new hour grow out of um the old one
1: yeah there's a great if i don't know if you're alluding to this or not but for the listeners there's a really really wonderful hbo special called talking funny and it's ricky gervais uh jerry seinfeld chris rock and uh louis ck scandal noted scandal noted uh, but it's the four of them.
0: I don't even know what that means here, but yeah. Oh, goodness. Okay.
1: Oh, goodness. Has has news not made its way to China over the last four years? Um, <laughs> I, I don't want to. Th- this is a thing that um, I'm let's just put it this way. I'm not going to be another white guy talking about uh, talking about that on, po- on a podcast. I can't bring myself to do it. But um, anyway, Scandal Set Aside. Um, it's a great interview where they talk about comedy and they talk about developing hours and Louis CK talks about throwing out his hour and Seinfeld talks about how his method has been over time slowly you know a, a piece might leave the hour and a new new one might come in and it sort of slowly changes over time but like sourdough bread there's always a little bit of that starter some of that core material in there and I think Seinfeld has violated that and written new hours since but it's kind of two different schools of thought and i've always subscribed to that og seinfeld model which is you try to create the absolute very best hour you possibly can and slowly sharpen it over time Um, but you know i had a kid come up to me after the show tonight who was like he's like hey i'm a senior i saw you last year i saw you virtually the year before during the pandemic And I saw you the year before that. So he had seen me perform four years ago.
0: (laughs) He's like, come on, man. (laughs) No, not at
1: all. In my mind, in my mind, that's what I felt. I was like, is it getting old for you? And he was like, very earnestly, he was like, no, not at all. I love seeing people's reactions when I know what's coming and they don't. So that was interesting. I'm all hard on myself about, like, how I haven't thrown up the hour yet. But it's nice when you hear people who are just, like really, truly appreciating it even after they've seen it multiple times. That's um,
0: interesting. I, I, think, I think there is something about the way you write and the way you construct your shows. I mean, it's like, it's like a good movie where people pick up different details as they you know, w- you know, watch it a second time or third time, especially over a, a span of like four years. I don't think like, his memory would actually serve him very well when it comes to you know, trying to pick up the details of, of the show.
1: Yeah, there's like there's little bits in there like Easter eggs that you pick up on a second or third viewing and then also things change, just because it is a new crowd of people and I am always changing and tweaking things, so it is a it's the same show but it's also different um, based on the circumstances so. um, yeah I don't know I just like i'm I I finally have gotten to the point where i'm so proud of this hour that I feel like I want to show it to literally anyone. Who will watch? Like there was a time where I felt like, oh, if Michael Weber saw this, he would go, Yeah, it's pretty good, but you know, that part's fill or whatever. I would show this to Michael Weber for the listener, the non-Magic listeners, if I don't know if there are any, but like anyone in Magic who's very highly respected um in that boys club. Um like now I'm at a point where I would be so proud to show this, this show to anybody and would be happy to share it with anyone who will watch. So that feels really great
0: yeah i mean d- does the the kind of like the big boys club does that um influence the way you think like do you oh do you yeah, care about their opinion?
1: Side. Yes, I have a little tiny Derek delgadio living in my brain criticizing oh, my efforts.
0: that must be horrible
1: i mean you know he, no wonder you also... live in
0: fear <laughs>
1: <You got laughs> derek
0: delgadio and michael weber in your head
1: i say but i say this but i'm also i'm also really uh grateful for for the people who i who i look up to and i think who, who are really truly artists and those people who are you know who are critical of magic, if it's not really, really freaking good. So I am, I am, like, grateful for that criticism, because I think it helped make me the person I am today. And the reason I I make that joke about Derek is because I think he is, like, really just doing great artistic things. Um, that's, I'm not breaking new ground by saying that. Um, mm-hmm. But like, I, I feel like there was a time where I would be nervous for Derek to come and see me. And now I would be like, so excited for him to to see the hour because i think it's i think it's gotten really that's really great.
0: Nice. that's great that yeah that's a good sign that you're doing something right
1: yeah i think so i i hope so i i'm all i can do is is try to be a better magician and to try to get a little better every day and um and everything else is just like everything else is just a, a part of life i mean i'm so like I'm so driven by this stuff. I go to bed thinking about magic. I wake up thinking about magic. It's just it's it's a curse and a blessing.
0: <laughs> oh, I, I 100% agree and understand. So what is. What is the work, man? What is it that you do that. Makes you grow.
1: That's a great question. I, I, I sometimes think of those things as different things. Like the work is getting on the airplane and then getting to the hotel and then figuring out the timing and the logistics. Like that, to me, is the day job, sure. but so I think of that as the work. and then i guess i I guess I do frame the creative process as work, but it's such a different thing. Um, you know, that the moment where the inspiration strikes and I have an idea is exciting. That excites me and then I write that down or record a voice memo and then. Um, usually i'll end up just calling through my notes and thinking like what is good in here, what has promise?" nothing's actually good when I look at the notes, but like what has. What seed do I think might grow into something great um, and then you know it's it's about problem solving and back engineering to try to see if you can make something work for starters, and then really, really good. Once once it's working, it's like, Okay, how do you make it great. So for example, the bookshelf trick that I did during the pandemic, which I did on it was I did it on Penn and Teller's show fool us it was my second appearance on that it's show. Fantastic. Yeah. Thanks, man. That was like an idea that I had with a couple of friends I was talking to my buddy Sean Bot and Jordan Gibby and we were talking like, what if. And then also Tim Catlett, my first magic mentor, had a similar idea when we were talking. And then it was a matter of like, okay, how can I bring this thing to life? And then that was like, I don't know, thousands of hours just working on this thing. And luckily I have like I have wonderful people who would step in and um and make suggestions and help out with things like Charlie Caper from Sweden, Rob Dominich, who's in who's in Dallas. Um it was a bit of a team effort and then just an Absolutely absurd amount of work trying to make this thing actually uh, work and look the way that it's supposed to.
0: Did you create that just for the Penn and Teller Fool Us, or did you create that for your virtual show in general?
1: Yeah, just for the virtual show. I had no intention of doing it on Fool Us. In fact, I did it for a couple of magician friends, and I did it for Bill Hers. And he was like, "Oh my God, you have to show any this. You have to show Mike Cavendy. Get on Zoom with him, please. Show it to him." And then. I, I messaged Kaveny and I'd also talked to John Lovick and I was like, oh, John, I'm doing this. I'm doing this thing for Cavney. Do you want to come see it? And so I invited a, a just a couple of magician friends. And then I thought, oh, Teller would like this. So I emailed Teller and I was like, Teller, I came up with this cool thing. Do you want to see it? And he wrote back, absolutely not. Don't show it to me. Please come back on the show and do it on the show, whatever it is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's great
1: really nice of him. And I also had no intention of going back on the show. But then I don't know, Teller buttered me up. He was just like, we think you're so wonderful and so great and so talented. And I was like, God damn it, Teller!" okay, fine, I'll come back on the show.
0: (laughs) Right, right, right. What was your experience on the show? Like, were you were you the first 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 one? I think the first one specifically because it was live, right?
1: Yeah, 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 that was that was the one that was in their theater. Yeah, I mean, I was totally nervous. I had done some TV before. But not in a uh, like not in front of a large live audience with that many cameras and also like now i consider teller and like teller a a friend who i don't talk to too often but i would certainly call him a friend and and pen we've chatted now too but at that time i'd only met them briefly when i was consulting on mindfreak um i didn't know them that well and so i think that also that also certainly made me nervous and um yeah, it was it was a great experience. Um, I definitely thought that I would fool them and felt a little hurt that I didn't get the trophy. But, um, but also at the same time, I was like, oh my god, I got to spend a bunch more time with Johnny Thompson. I got to do this thing. A lot of people saw it. And then once a lot of people saw it, people saw the other stuff I had done on TV, like the travel channel clips, which had very few v- views. Now, like that went up. And so... It was good for me uh, to push me both to do something out of my comfort zone and also it helped put more eyes on me, which was awesome that was season two though right now there's. Like there's there's 150,000 seasons of pen and teller fool us now, I think It's Um, a lot
0: yeah
1: a lot but but that was I think season two, it was at least I believe the first season in the US and so that really meant something
0: yeah and you've done a lot of tv shows um about a lot but i've done i've done a bunch more than most that's true and how do you enjoy them
1: yeah yeah i mean they're so much fun like it's such a it's such an interesting experience because they're all so very different Mm. yet you get to use like your live show instincts, you get to use the creative instincts, there's a real mental game, there's like mental gymnastics that takes place about, like, okay, you're going into a situation that is different than you normally perform. And also, this is going to be a thing that exists in perpetuity. Yeah, this, this will never go away. It will, even if people don't see it, it'll get uploaded somewhere. And you know that there is a pressure with that and so it's fun to try to design magic that is as bulletproof as possible to try to make it as impossible to reconstruct as 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 you can and then also you start then looking at your live material too and you're like okay if i put all this work into making this seamless and bulletproof why am i not doing this with more of my just normal magic so it's it's a I think for me, it's been a a really good thing for just focusing on designing magic, even in a live environment, um, mm-hmm. because it makes you approach it differently.
0: Yeah. So the TV show, it sounds like, has helped your career also a lot in terms of getting the word out there, or have, having more people see you, correct?
1: Yes, but I, I also think that I should flag something, which is that I see a lot of magicians who do TV appearances when they have the opportunity. And I also have had a lot of young magicians ask me for advice on doing this. I've turned down more TV shows than I've done. Mm -hmm. And the reason is, I want to make sure that one, the magic is respected and two, my ability to convey that magic is respected. And so I don't wanna put myself in a situation where I'm doing material that could be cut apart easily. I don't wanna put myself in a situation where I'm working with people who I don't trust, who I think could screw me over and show a bad angle, whether they want to or or it was just carelessness. Um, I'm really choosy about what I do. And I'm sure at some point I will get burned and something terrible will have. there'll be some disaster that happens on TV, mm-hmm. but. So far, I think I've made good choices about the types of shows I do and the material that I do on them. Like doing Brainchild, Child, the, that kids, it was a kid's science show on Netflix. That was a very conscious choice. It was at a time in America that was very anti-science. And I thought there's not a better thing in the world to do than try to help get kids into science in America right now. Mm-hmm. So...
0: Um, So the advice would, would be, don't rush into just any opportunity knowing it's just because it's TV or is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's hard because everyone wants to, everyone wants to be successful and TV can lead to success, but it can also lead to the type of success that, you know, flames up for a moment and then kind of goes away. There are plenty of people who went on America's Got Talent and everyone was really excited about them for a couple months and then it just kind of went away. Mm -hmm. And I think some people who have done it maybe weren't ready and didn't have the time and were a little too green to carry it afterwards like TV is a good commercial for yourself. Mm -hmm. And that is it you don't get paid much doing TV shows at all. What it is, is a commercial for your live show and so if you can't then deliver a really good live show afterwards, then it's kind of just kind of counterproductive because then like, I don't know that it necessarily leads to anything unless you can really back it up. You have to have that strong foundation for whatever you're doing to make a living that the TV helps and adds to. Um, You can't just go and like get famous and have a career, I
0: guess. I might be, wrong here but it feels like there was a period of three years or something where you just started performing a hell of a lot and got really good what was (laughs) that what was that process like because because I, i i i might i might be wrong with this maybe you were doing a lot of shows in vegas already uh when we met but it felt like there was just this period of three, maybe five years where things just kind of went like boom, 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 boom. And you did a bunch of shows and it got really good. What was that process like? Was there any kind of like a conscious decision that you made that um, led to that?
1: It's funny that you would ask me that right after the first question or the earlier question that you asked, because that was 100% showing restraint. So I wanted to work in these two different markets. One was the college market. And the other was cruise ships. I really wanted to do both of those things, and I kind of felt like I wanted to be ready when I started. So I really worked hard on I worked hard on the act to start off with, and when I say the act, I mean like a fifteen minute comedy pickpocketing set that I was doing in Vegas and then doing in Reno when I did the burlesque show that was performing it every night. I got that really, really sharp. And then slowly I started working on other material and getting it good. And people had suggested that I go to the NACA conferences for college shows or that I approach a cruise agent. And I kind of stayed away from it until I really felt that I was getting pretty decent. And then when I felt I was pretty good, when I ended up working in those markets, it kind of, it went really well because I kind of came out of nowhere, and suddenly it was like, oh, who's this guy? And I kind of just, I don't know, I did the NACA showcases, and I got chosen for so many showcases, and I was doing material that people hadn't seen, and um, yeah, I was just rocking it really hard, and so my calendar filled up, and I I do think that a part of that was waiting till I was ready to approach those markets. Same thing with the cruise ships. I basically Mm -hmm. could, anytime I wanted to be on a ship, I could. I could have done... 365 days a year if I wanted to. Um, So I just filled my schedule with colleges and cruises and then did, yeah, years of just being on the road for almost every day of the year. And just, I mean, yeah, grinding it out and the show just got better from there. Like there's no shortcuts. It all has to be just doing it over and over and over and over again. And that's, that's how you get good.
0: So you did you did have a vision that I wanted to do college shows and cruise cruise ship shows and then start preparing um from, from that vision. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, absolutely. But I also wanted to, it was really important to me to not do the same material that people were doing in those markets. Because the funny thing about working cruise ships is like you can show up and then the technician will be like Okay, so what's your set? And before you start telling them, they'll be like, "All right, are you opening with floating rose? or Are you gonna open with the bowling ball?" And then, like, what do you do first? Do you make it snow like two thirds of the way in? And what they're describing is just Kevin James's act that a hundred magicians just basically started doing almost exactly like.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's a standard act.
1: Yeah, it's terrible. I mean, it's not terrible. The material is great because it's mostly Kevin James, but but it's just so many people doing the same material and so
0: yeah the floating table the the floating rows, the cardiographic um yeah rest in peace
1: martin lewis um yeah
0: rest in peace yeah great guy um
1: yeah man yeah i i just couldn't i never wanted to be seen as someone doing that and so i i i would i refuse to like learn that material or do that material um, it had that to be would be something. so
0: frowned upon in the comedy world, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Your act is one of the most well integrated with comedy that I've seen. What What's your kind of like secret to that? Because I, Thank- I see a lot of um, integration where it's, um, it's either a comic hiding behind a magician or a magician hiding, hiding behind a comic where, the comedy and the magic, they don't complement each other. But you seem to have made it work.
1: Thanks, man. Um, Yeah, comedy is important to me. You wouldn't know it by listening to this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) But generally speaking, on TV or, you know, on stage and on TV, I like that. That's an important part of it for me. Um, Well, you know, Luke Germay once said to me, uh, and then again, Luke Germay, rest in peace. Just kidding. Luke's Luke's fine. He's doing great. (laughs) Uh, Luke Jermay once said to me, uh, I know you know this, but for the viewers, Luke and I like toured together and we were roommates in Vegas for a while. We spent a lot of time together. Um, And he said to me early on, like almost all comedy magic is like comedy that's not very original or funny and magic that's not that good or strong. And that stuck with me and I was like, well, I never want to be either of those things like at all like it would make it it makes my skin crawl thinking about someone perceiving me as what that comedy magician trope is so i don't know i i just said i'm going to i'm going to try to be good and i'm i'm not going to use standard jokes i'm not going to use like hacky lines when i was You know, when I was in college and I was doing magic, there were some like stock lines in my show. And then at a certain point, I don't know, maybe like 2021, I was like, oh, yeah, I can't do this. Like, this is this is bad. Luckily, I had people around me who were, you know, the people who look down or look down upon that stuff. It's like you want critical friends who will be like, hey, dude, knock it off. You can't say that. That's
0: like (laughs) you're better than that.
1: I've heard that before, and you're better than that. And if you're not better than that, then wh- why are you even doing this? Go home. Uh, so, so I just, yeah, no, no stock lines, super important. And what is the magic that people aren't doing? What are the variations of things that make them feel unique? And what can you do to make the show actually feel like it's a piece of you as opposed to just a thing that you learned? That you can regurgitate in front of an audience.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a lot.
1: It's not. I mean, dude. It, it, again, this stuff came for me over the course of like ten years. You know, like I don't think there's any like no part of me thinks that this is easy. Um, it, it's it's not. Like it's easy to be hack. It's really easy to go on stage and get laughs and amaze people if you don't have any, like, ethics or taste.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't, and they get laughs, and they do a fine show.
1: Yeah, and you know what? If you're doing classic magic, and you're doing, like, good comedy, and that's just, like, putting goodness in the world, and it's not, like... If it's classic, and it's not, like, stolen material, then good for you. Like, you're, you're doing great. Like, some of some of our favorite magicians do great classic material. Um, I'm not, I'm not even I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm frowning upon the classics. There's a reason why cups and balls is a perfect routine. Um, It it just, it just became very clear to me early on that, um, that that wasn't the right direction for me, at least for writing this stage show that I do like I wanted it to feel like it was an experience where you left going okay i haven't i haven't seen that stuff before
0: i think the way people consume entertainment and the way people interact with videos and social media and all that i think it is doing something to what we call classics um in in a way that's different before i think previously before internet or youtube and all that you can have a classic act or or a signature act, and you just do that ten minutes for eternity till you die, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, the vaudeville circuit. I mean, yeah, you if you had like ten really great minutes, you could a hundred percent make a great living only doing that 10 minutes. and
0: but you not you kind of cannot do that now. you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I, I I'm trying to think of an example. I don't know that I can. Yeah I mean, people are look, the medium's changing, obviously. A lot of performers are putting out material on social media. Um, I have my own mixed feelings about that um, from a magic standpoint. Um, but people are certainly doing that. and then there's this need to, you know, the the social media is a machine. and so if people want to play that game and try to get lots of views and lots of followers there really is a component of just cranking out a lot and you have to, you have to produce an enormous amount of material and that just doesn't, that's just not copacetic with, with good magic, just because you're going to end up like, yeah, you just buy tricks, learn them, do them for people. It's like, I don't know. There's,
0: there's become a demonstrator of um, new effects kind of
1: totally totally and then like all right you see some of these people who will do that and then they'll like they'll stooge the audience to just freak out and go crazy um like yeah i mean there is a market for that but you scroll past it and you forget about it immediately um i know someone who hired a a, i'm not going to say who but hired a famous social media magician to perform at his party and this is a guy who has like millions of people who are followers of his on social media. Right. And the guy who hired him knew magic. Like he, he was a magic connoisseur and he was so disappointed. And he was like, I would never hire that guy again. I mean, cause he just saw through the facade. I would much rather be a performer who has a foundation and can really do a live show. Um, yeah. than then then have tons of, tons and tons of fans and followers, but not actually be able to to perform.
0: No, 100%, I, I agree. I mean, to an extent, I mean, you are a bit of a hybrid of both, right? I mean, you are definitely more up to date with the age of the internet in comparison to some of, you know, like great performers, Some of some of the friends that we know who are completely offline, completely just underground. The world would have no access to them um even if they were to try to reach them but all you- right so if
1: you're playing everyone if you're playing the armando drinking game take a shot
0: yep <laughs> that's 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 number 1 um but but you know what I mean there's a there seems to be a balance that's quite um that's shifting in in the world i think
1: yeah i'm i'm not i'm not too sure where it is going to go because like once you're doing magic in VR, or once you have AI doing magic, it, it's not, I mean, you can do anything, right? So either people will find a way to make that amazing, or magic will be this archaic thing where people, you know, huddle into the dingy jazz club to see a live performer, which people haven't done in years, like, it, it only exists, like good magic only exists. In the moment. And although it can appear on TV, you can use TV as a delivery system. It loses something. We all know. Like, real live magic is hard to beat. Um, So I don't know what the future will hold. Um, Like, someone's going to do a great magic show in Web3, probably. But I don't know what that looks like.
0: You did a lot of virtual shows. I did, yes. What was that experience like? Did you enjoy it?
1: I did actually. I I loved it. Uh so part of that was just practically speaking after being on the road so much like being able to finish a show and then just go into the other wor- room and my my wife and my dog and my snacks were all there. Right. <laughs> like just not having to get on a plane immediately. Like that so practically speaking that was awesome. Um but it was also a cool challenge like designing a show around, uh, around a, you know, a virtual space and partially it's because I have this true love for close up magic and I don't get to perform it all that often because I'm usually in front of a lot of people and they can't see coins you know, more than a few rows back. Um, so mm-hmm. getting, to, getting to perform some of this material that I've been developing slowly over time but never actually had the opportunity to do for humans um, was really exciting and fun.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you how often do you do close up magic now?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I mean, it depends. It goes through waves. Sometimes I will be hired to do a stage show and also close up. And so I'll I'll do them both. Um, and then sometimes Yeah, I don't know how to answer the question. But it depends in terms of so like
0: much. kind of situational uh, things, do you do you look out for those opportunities to do them or
1: you mean out with friends yeah with friends
0: or like with clients casually do you look out for kind of special moments of
1: I'm always looking out for them I'm rarely actually executing them because it has to be really special for it to for it to happen like I I think there's something totally cool about just being like, hey, you wanna see some magic and showing it to people and sometimes people are really delighted by that. But I also have a hang up, which is that like I never want to be shoving something down someone's throat. I always want I, I want I want the opposite of walk around magic, which is instead of going up to people something and very special Yeah, I want someone to be like, Oh my gosh, will you please show me and my friend something like, I didn't want to ask, but would you? And it's like, yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, that 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 makes it special.
1: Yeah, you, almost like 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 they they want it really bad and and you're holding out and then finally you do something. I don't know that to me is that to me is so much better than like, hey, guys, I'm the magician. I want to see a trick?
0: No, the 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 frame of it is um, it makes a huge difference, right? It's like the one they're seeking out this mystery or this experience of mystery there's also something already at stake is like they might potentially get rejected you know? totally and, and that that already brings some emotions right as opposed to what like they're pouring drinks and you go uh um do you want to see a magic it's like just it's different
1: yeah i mean i i think i have major ptsd from doing walk around gigs over years you know back in the day and walking up to a group of people and trying to do magic for them. And then just like immediately sensing before you've even done anything, just immediately feeling like, oh, these people are, these people want to talk business or this group hasn't seen each other in like five years. All they want to do is talk. And like, just like that awful feeling of like, yeah, okay. And then I make a coin vanish and I say, that's all, thanks, nice meeting you. Bye, bye, bye. (laughs) And like run away because you know, dismount as where did you do possible. that? I'm just thinking about like, I think corporate events where Okay, you but know, you didn't so do
0: it like as, as a residency for many months or anything like that, or
1: No, I mean, I did that in Vegas, but that's a different story. Um, I'm what I'm talking about specifically when I talk about post traumatic stress disorder is the idea of being hired to do magic an event where you have to just walk up to people, they don't know who you are. And they don't know that you're supposed to be there. And they might not be, like, they're not there for magic. They're they're there for something else. Um, so I think I have this, like, little thing in the back of my head, which is, like, if they don't really want it, then don't do it.
0: Yeah, and also, it's also that even after you're done, even if you've done a great job, they still don't know if you're supposed to be there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> Ant- Anton, you want to hear something really funny? Yeah, go. So I had to film something. I can't talk about it yet, but I had I had to film something for a project and it was a routine that I hadn't done in years and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm filming this tomorrow and I haven't done this in like a long time. I have to go perform it for some people. I didn't have a gig booked. I was just home in LA. So I was like, I'm just going to walk around and walk up to people and like do this trick for them. That's um, so funny. Because I had I had to do it. I had to I had to like, you know, get back in the flow of this thing. And dude, it was so funny. I think I did it for like seven, seven groups. And like, I approached a group of people. And I was just like, Hey, how's it going? My name is Ben. And uh, I would love to show you magic trick if you'd like to watch. And like, you could see the look on this group's face where they're like, um, uh, God, how do we make this, this guy go away? And I was just like, by the way, you don't have to say yes, Um, I'm filming a thing. And I just want to like, I'm just literally practicing it it's a card trick it'll take 20 seconds
0: and you have to sell it to them
1: right and then i swear to god there was this long awkward pause and this woman goes are you going to ask us for money <laughs> and then i started laughing and i was like oh no 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 no, not at all you guys couldn't afford to hire me if you tried no 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 this is just i just want to do a trick and then they're like wait what and i was like here let me just <laughs> what did you say
0: you. <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then I was just like, "Here, I'm just gonna do this." And so I did a magic trick for them, and they were like super blown away, and it was great. And they're like, "Wait, who are you again?" And I was like, "It doesn't matter." And then I left. Um, but it, it like just that feeling of people going like, "Ugh, what is this?" Just makes my stomach turn.
0: Yeah, and and, and then and then the next day you're actually doing it for TV, where
1: right, right, and they then, might yeah, be the watching
0: and really enjoying it. Had they not, you know, yeah, like just the context.
1: It. It's the context, man. It's all about, the, it's all about the framing. Um, dude, I, I walked up to, I walked up to uh, these two women, like after that, that, that it was that same day. I'm just like trying to do it for a few people. And I walked up and I just said, you know, hi, I, I, I said my hello and said, can I show you a magic trick? And they were just like, no. And I was like, okay, I'm sorry. Goodbye.
0: <laughs> that is so funny.
1: And then, yeah, next, next thing, next thing I know I'm in front of like a bunch of TV cameras and yeah, they're like,
0: like, uh, yeah, things. Mr. Saitman, where, where do you, where do you want the cameras to be? <laughs> <laughs> just like everything like, set up.
1: I know. And they're treating me like so special. And the people I'm performing for are so excited. Context, man, context.
0: Like that reminds me of a story that my friend Mo told me, um, one day he, he was in Shanghai. He wasn't there when this happened, but, um, it was one night in Hong Kong in a comedy club on a Tuesday night, open mic, all of a sudden um, the owner just, you know, they said, all right, no more phones, uh, no recordings. Uh, if you guys want to stay, you stay. Um, or, or are you just going to have to leave now because the next um, we, we have a special guest coming? It was Dave. It was Dave Chappelle.
1: Oh, I was you know, it's funny as you were saying that I was queuing up my own story of when that happened. It was also Chappelle.
0: No way. I, I want to hear that. But basically, even someone like Dave Chappelle, when he comes to Hong Kong, probably for i don't know for pleasure or for work, he would just take a night out where you know where he would perform at a random ass comedy club where people potentially didn't know him right i i think I think there is something to be said about that you know that that kind of discomfort and yeah doing it that way but man that that takes a lot of um that that's real that's real dedication I think. I feel like I want to be the type
1: of person who I can who can perform for anyone in any situation anywhere. And I think I am that person, but it doesn't mean that it's going to feel like I want it to feel. You know, I cut my teeth doing like hellish gigs and (laughs) doing doing shows that I I wouldn't even share publicly, like where I was paid very little money to perform in very difficult or frustrating situations. And I just I think I learned to be as good as I possibly could be in those situations and what it did was it taught me now when I show up and i'm getting paid to perform. And the environment isn't correct or something is really off and I know it's going to be a detriment to the show I just say to myself okay I might not be able to get them to a ten out of a 10 but. How do I get them for what would have been a four up to a six or seven? Like what is the way that I sharpen this key to make it fit this particular lock? And how do I make this as good as it can be despite the obstacles? And that's a fun little game when you show up and, you know, there's no microphone and there's no chairs or, you know, whatever whatever the difficult situation is. I mean, is you or...
0: you must have done some difficult shows.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've 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 done a handful. I don't know that I've I don't know that i like i haven't i haven't done any shows for for gang bars and rival and like in a in a gang bar where two rival gangs are fighting that hasn't happened to me but so I've, I've it been sounds a- like a
0: bob cassidy gig
1: that is a bob cassidy i think i think that's how bob cassidy made his living <laughs> <No joke. laughs> rest in peace he definitely did that room yeah, yeah absolutely rest in peace
0: so what was the Chappelle story
1: Oh, I mean, it's not much of a story. I was thinking about the same thing. A buddy of mine was like, hey, I'm going up on this show in Venice. Come see it. Or no, Santa Monica. And um, and I went and there was like, I don't know, maybe 35 people in the room. And it was a great lineup. And it was super chill. And then like Chappelle just came up and did two and a half hours. And <laughs> it was just That's insane. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is like. Have you I met him? No, I haven't. I haven't. I I mean, I've I've met and worked with Neil Brennan, who co-created the Chappelle show with him. Um, I don't know Neil super well, um, but we've worked together a bunch at Comedy and Magic Club back in the day. And um Neil's last show was directed by Derek Delgadio. Fun story to bring this all together. Oh, uh, no way. Yeah, I'm very excited to see it. I don't know what I think they filmed it already, but when it comes out, I can't wait to see it. Every time I was in New York and I tried to see it like I had to be on stage when it was happening and i and i missed it
0: Mm. how do comics respond to your show because it's so different
1: yeah that's a great question um i think most of the comics who have seen me work have seen me work for not a full hour because like when i did the just for laughs tour i was doing like 12 or 15 minutes um and when i'm performing at a comedy club usually it's a shorter set too um so i mean I can speak to my friends. Like Mike Kaplan is a really good friend of mine and one of my favorite comedians, too. He's amazing. And he's seen my full hour a handful of times, um, which, you know, he's very, very complimentary. And it feels amazing because just like I want to impress the magicians who I respect most, I want to impress the comedians who I respect Mm -hmm. most. But, dude, Mike just saw me perform at an outdoor festival where it was pouring rain and almost everyone in the audience was tripping on acid or mushrooms and then just as the final bit happened there was lightning and thunder and we lost all power both visually and the mic went to and everyone had to scatter and run to their tents to get away from the the thunder and i i like i didn't even get to close like everything that i had been setting up for the last 25 no.
0: minutes no
1: like, yeah yeah, it was like right before too. I, if I'd had thirty more seconds, it would have been okay. I mean, you know, stuff like that happens. It's uh, that that's what happens when you do a lot of shows. Sometimes, sometimes it's that.
0: Oh shit! Wait, so there was no end to the show.
1: Um, I mean, the end of the show was me trying to scream off Mike in the dark. Look, it matches. <laughs> like,
0: uh, no, that's so
1: funny. yeah. Yeah, you know what I close with. Um, yeah, it's like no, yeah, D- disaster. But I kind of I got off stage in the pouring rain, like trying to keep my pro, you know, my my briefcase from getting soaked. I just kind of like laughed to myself. I was like, yeah, why wouldn't this happen? And that's okay. That's all right. And people were very lovely and complimentary and enjoyed it, even though they like I knew what they were gonna. I knew what they missed out on. They didn't. Yeah. So it's okay. Yeah.
0: I mean, I'm sure they had a good time. Regardless, I think so. They're yeah, wrong, a lot of acid and mushrooms.
1: I mean, yeah, that'll do it. I
0: suppose. <laughs> I don't think I don't think a magic show is the best thing to be, to be to be seeing. Actually, when I feel like acid or mushrooms.
1: Yeah, I feel like weirdly, and this is a story that I can't tell. I'm so. By the way, I'm so sorry to the listeners. I'll tell you this off air. I can't. I can't say this publicly. But can't I wait. did a show uh that was for like a very small number of people for a really large sum of money and everyone was on mushrooms mm. and this was in a different country and it was just a strange strange scenario like yeah i don't think tripping is really the best way to perceive magic
0: no i i think a a big part of what make, what makes magic work is you need to still have a logical grip of what is possible you know and then and then someone breaks it And it becomes impossible and you go, wow. And your logical system breaks down and, and astonishment comes from there. But if your logical system is already out of the way, there's, you know, there's (laughs) none of that applies.
1: It's certainly, yeah, it's, it's certainly different. It's like, why is magic not amazing to a three-year-old? Well, they don't understand how the world works. Everything is magic. And maybe some of that plays into, if you're, if you're like, on hallucinogens maybe I don't know i'm not really sure I haven't I haven't watched magic wall on hallucinogens before I have just witnessed other people watch me and it seems like there's. Like I think they enjoy it, but I also think there's some disconnect there
0: yeah it might seem like there's a lot to process.
1: yeah and also I think you, you these you have a lot going through your mind and then here's this guy who's like. In your face doing magic tricks i don't with know the,
0: with a million callbacks <laughs> and they yeah. kind of like what happened again oh yeah yeah,
1: yeah. that's exactly. so
0: funny so oh yeah i he's guess calling
1: back to a joke <laughs> he's calling back to a joke that happened two years ago well no it's actually 30 minutes but what's i know definitely. <laughs>
0: yeah. oh man so what what i guess like to to wrap this up uh wrap this up what 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 are you working towards right now what's your next thing is there a next thing
1: That's a great question. I mean, the answer up until like three weeks ago would have been the vanity fair video. um, Oh,
0: yeah, that that was incredible. Can we talk about that? Sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's easier for me to talk about than the next step, because I'm still trying to figure out what that is. Um, But a thing that's already done and out into the world and a thing that people can watch like that's easier for me to talk about because I've already experienced it.
0: Yeah, I was so happy to. um see that it was you and well, before you, it was Sal Paisenti. So it was like two, two friends of mine are doing that show and, and that, that clip got a lot of traction.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty exciting. I think it came out like maybe, yeah, just, I think three weeks ago, something like that. And I think over 1.5 million people have seen it, which is incredible. Mm -hmm. I mean, I gave them a lot. Like I did a lot of things and I expected them to cut a lot of it and then they kind of didn't. Like it it just was it's like it's long. Um you know, the joke that a couple friends of mine have made were like, "Hey Ben, I watched your magic special." Because like it's it's so comprehensive, but um but I'm delighted by the fact that people right. like watch the whole thing. Wait, so you tomorrow.
0: prepared a lot more than what was shown at the end?
1: No, 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 I mean the opposite like I like they used almost everything I, I did not everything but almost everything.
0: Oh, Okay. Okay, um,
1: but I expected them to cut so I thought it would be shorter, um, but I wanted to give them lots of op- options, I mean the producers were incredible they were really, really great. Um, it was such a good experience that the hardest part for me was just that I felt like I was representing all of magic and wanted to do so in a way that was respectful and safe like. This was a behind the scenes look, obviously, I, I, but I, I think you wanna, did. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to tip. I didn't want to tip anything that would harm any of us. Um, you so, were so, you,
0: you were so careful with that. <laughs> the, the, the most that you've shared was a glide.
1: Yes. I think I felt <laughs> like, like that's okay. <laughs> if you're dude, if you're a magician and you're holding on to the glide as being a good, is like being your, like your big secret, we, we got to talk.
0: I was I was watching this. I was like, "Wow, Ben is so careful with not to overexpose anything." The only thing that he shared was a glide. That was great.
1: Yeah, I mean, how do you how do you explain how all of magic works without explaining how any of it works? That was the challenge. The glide. Yeah, <laughs> the glide.
0: And um, how much preparation went into that?
1: Um, I because it looked really you, effortless. Thanks. Uh. I would say that I had between the point where I knew what the movies were going to be and I had to decide what I was going to talk about and demonstrate, I had, I think, like about a week.
0: Oh, so you were, oh, wow, seriously.
1: Yeah, so I don't know if that's more or less time than you thought it was going to be.
0: No, that was, well, now that I think about it, about right, but then I would imagine you had more time.
1: I knew I think that I was going to be doing it maybe two weeks out, but up until up until like a week, I didn't really know what the movies were all going to be and like what I was going to be talking about and that's when I started um really working on it and like I mean huge thanks to the friends of mine who were incredible and like you know, very, very helpful with me saying, hey, I'm about to do a really big high profile thing about magic. I can't tell you who it's for or exactly what it's about. But these are the concepts I want to talk about. What do you think of this? Or do you have any ideas? Like, thank you to, you know, Jared Kopf and Eric Mead and Jamie Ian Swiss and Travis Santel and the people who I, you know, love and appreciate who helped out by saying like, hey, I think this is a good direction for you to go down. Um, or hey, I don't know if that's actually going to turn out the way that you want it to be. Um, you know, I I am nothing without the people who who have given me the knowledge I have. So um so yeah, I, I, I felt supported and I, I felt like in the end it turned out really wonderfully and I feel so grateful that like the pickpocketing went as well as it did and like A lot of things could have gone wrong and you know luckily the team was incredible um they were great to work with they didn't push me too hard to expose more than i what was comfortable with and yeah it was just overall great
0: yeah that's great man i think with magic we have such an amazing community um of people who are supportive and and just love the same things i think that's a very rare thing which is you know why uh I wanted to do this podcast in the first place and, and, uh, yeah, I've always appreciated to, um, to have you as a friend in magic. And, um, yeah, it's good to catch up with you, Ben.
1: It's always nice hearing your voice, my friend. We don't talk nearly enough, but you know, we do live, it's like a pretty far bike ride between LA and Shanghai.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Someone's done it, but, um, (laughs) it's not going to be me or you definitely Um, not but yeah Um, hopefully hopefully next year I'll, i'll 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 be spending some time in the u.s and i'll be able to see you
1: yeah i would i would love that man and you know that i keep threatening to come and visit you in shanghai too
0: all right my friend thank you for your time today
1: if if you've uh to the listener if you've made it this far uh gold star thank you we appreciate you um we appreciate you appreciating magic And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just happy. I'm happy that you're here. So thank you. Thank you.